think you guys are like standing on the shoulders of those that came before you and you're doing a proud and the music is dope. And so I think, I think the world will be very happy and excited. Again, I think there are no barriers. I think that what we're doing with Fire Little Africa is telling the story. You all are telling the story of what happened in Tulsa, honoring that and highlighting the incredible talent that's there. And, and I think that that's beautiful, but I, I don't believe there aren't any barriers anymore, you know? The Woody Guthrie Center and Bob Dylan Center present Fire in Little Africa, a multimedia hip hop project inspired by Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You are now tuned in to Fireside with Dr. View, a podcast featuring Fila Executive Director Stevie Dr. View Johnson in conversation with national leaders in activism, academia, and culture centered on the movement behind the Fire in Little Africa music. And now, coming at you live from Black Wall Street, here is your host, Dr. View. What's good, everybody? It's your man, Dr. View, executive producer of Fire Little Africa. For the fourth installment of Fireside, I had the chance to sit down with chairwoman CEO of Motown Records, the Ethiopia Haptimerium. In this episode, we talked about her trajectory of getting to become chairwoman of Motown Records, um, her interning at LaFace Records starting at the age of 14, as well as how she views and sees Fire Little Africa's role um, connecting with Motown and the Black Forum label. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation. Please like, share, and subscribe. And we appreciate it. Everything is us. So first off, I just want to say I've been looking forward to this ever since you accepted. Um, I think... I'm just so excited and elated and, and, and humble um, that you have not only taken the time to um, bring light to Fire Little Africa, but just to break bread and, and sit down with me and talk today. So um, I got a couple questions uh, okay. for you and uh, we're just gonna, gonna get into it. So the first one is when and how did you fall in love with music? I fell in love with music I mean, I don't know if I can actually remember when, but I grew up in Tuskegee, Alabama and Atlanta, but my early childhood was in Tuskegee. And I'm first generation Ethiopian American. So I was an Ethiopian little girl in Tuskegee with the name Ethiopia. <laughs> and probably felt like a bit of an alien um, as a young kid, but music was everything to me. I think it was like my way of relating to people. I loved, you know, I would sing all the time. I was one of those kids that would like journal and write in her diary always. I was really into lyrics. Um, so, I, I mean, I was like in talent shows and all those things. I just loved music singing. And for me, I think I knew at an early age that music was a big like point of connectivity between people. And um, that's how I like friendships, we would, you know, big fans of artists and stuff so music has always been a big part of my life but I loved it from the beginning what music did you grow up on I remember my father playing like Anita Baker and Regina Bell and you know and then Whitney I remember the first time I got a stereo system and um getting her cd with my stereo system and Whitney was everything to me I love Janet I love Madonna I loved I remember loving like Genesis and things like that but my older brother you know it was NWA it was all, you know all of that when I was a, a really young girl but I moved to Atlanta right before I went to middle school and 
I remember. How was that transition? It was crazy because Tuskegee was such a small town, right? Like I was, I went to all through elementary school. I was with my same class that I started preschool with. And it was probably 10, 10 12 of us. And then I moved to Atlanta and I'm going to public school. It's probably like 300 kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but Atlanta, was, it was a, an amazing time when I think about it, because I ended up going to school with Criss Cross. Do you remember? You remember Criss Cross? Of course you remember Criss Cross. Of they, were in, they were in class with me, right? And then there was like wow. ABC and... Um, were they wearing their clothes backwards in school too? <laughs> yes. Yes, they were. <laughs> yeah they were um so it was it was and I was a fan of all of these groups right and so on the weekends we would go to the roller skating rink and you would see the artists the same people you were seeing in videos you were seeing at the skating rink or at school with you and so there was this weird it was this weird thing where the music scene was just kind of around me as a kid and that's because of what Atlanta was so Jermaine Dupree Dallas Austin and of course, the face records were all there and developing talent, signing talent. JD had crisscross, Dallas Austin had like ABC and he was producing TLC's records and JD was also producing TLC's records. And, you know, clearly they were a lot older than me, but the, I looked up to all of them. Like I would get all the fanzines and I would read about them and I would, I was kind of, you know, just immersed in the music community there and it blew my mind that it was right around me you know that the artists and these writers and producers were like from where I was from they were you could run into them at the mall or you would be you know in an interview you would see them talking about certain neighborhoods and you're like wait that's right that's right down the street you know yeah. that, that was amazing um but I would say TLC Outcast, I was, you know, a big Fuji's fan. Mm -hmm. Loved Missy, the whole Timbaland. Aaliyah was everything to me. So that that's that was like my era hmm. of of music that probably shaped me the most. So when did you know like oh, I'm ready to get into this music music game? Like I'm I'm just all in. Like when like do you remember that moment? Oh, yeah, well, I was in high school. And so I went to Benjamin E. Mays High School in Southwest Atlanta. Shout out to Southwest. That's where I was from. Um, and rip, rip, rip your shit. You know, you have to it's still there. <laughs> um, but, but my freshman year in high school, I had to take a career planning class. It was a requirement for graduating. And it was great because they had us take it our freshman year. And you had to choose three different careers. And I remember every career that I listed has something to do with music, right? I didn't know about the different careers in the music business, but I think I wrote publicist or um, producer. Um, I think I may have written production company or something some, along those lines, because it was all I knew of, right? And my, my teacher, Mrs. Baker, she, she came to me and she was like, I'm gonna have someone come and speak to the class. When she gets here, you need to talk to her, right? And so it was a woman named Shanti Dawes who was an alumni of Maze and she was the head of promotions for LaFace Records at the time. And I remembered she came to the class and she was young. She was 
fly, you know, like back then the style was like baggy clothes or whatever, but you know, and I was like, what type of school, what type of high school, predominantly black high school? Yeah, all black. So, so you had a black teacher too? My whole childhood was all black everything. Okay. Yeah. It was all black everything going from Tuskegee and then moving to Atlanta and the part of Atlanta where I grew up was all black. And Mm -hmm. I ended up changing high schools my sophomore year and going to a mixed um, high school that had, you know, more diversity or whatever. But my freshman year, I was at Mays. Um, so so Shanti came and spoke to my class and I was like, I wanna be just like her. She did radio promotion. She talked about her career and she was influential in TLC's, you know, campaigns and outcasts. And I was like, I wanna be just like her. So I went to went to speak to her after, after she spoke at our class and I just asked her if I could shadow her for a day. She said, yes, my parents said, okay. Um, And I went and did it and the day that I went, I remember her assistant was out sick and I like helped answer phones or whatever. And I guess I did a good job at it. So she was like, you can come anytime. Hmm. That was it. I was like taking the train there, you know, doing it. I was, I was probably like stalking her a little bit to be honest, but it was, I just got the bug for, I got the bug for, I just, it opened up my eyes to these, to the people behind the scenes in music, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I was at LaFace, it was a major label, you know, in the city of Atlanta. It was in Buckhead in this huge, you know, high rise building. And it was just all these incredible black executives you know, marketing, A&R, you know, promotions, creative, and it was thriving. And I saw all these incredible black women that were leading the charge. LA will be walking around. And I, I became like a kid that got to be a fly on the wall in a lot of rooms that I probably normally wouldn't be able to get in. But because I was so young, mm-hmm. I got a lot of access and I um, soaked it up. And I'm, you know, I reflected on how much of a privilege that was because to see, I never questioned my own trajectory in my career because I saw excellence and greatness with these, you know, these these black executives that were just around and and they were they were they ended up being the people that I was like a fan of, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was definitely a huge blessing. So you mentioned Dallas Austin and, and JD and LaFace. Like, can you talk about, cause I think when people think of like Atlanta starting, they always think about those folks, but <clears throat> can you talk a little bit about like what life was like before like they came on the scene? Like what was the culture of Atlanta like before the Dallas Austin and JDs and, and LaFaces of the world? Uh, you know, I can't really, I can't really speak to it. I don't know. I know what I've read, you know, that it was a thriving black city. Clearly Atlanta was, um, you know, instrumental in the civil rights movement. And it's interesting to think about, you know, where I grew up, which was a mix of, you know, very well off upper class um, black people and then you know down the street you would have a project or whatever and then we all went to school together in whatever district we were in right um but you got to see the beauty of blackness across the board like you got to see very well off attorneys and doctors and families that were thriving and even um 
entrepreneurs, you know, that had their own businesses. And I remember reading something that LA spoke about when he came to visit Atlanta, I think, and I think he was meeting with producers that him and Babyface just knew they needed to plant their feet there, you know, um, and build their business there because of the thriving community, black community that existed there. They saw a lot of opportunity. So with this this idea of finding a little Africa and, and Tulsa, although you haven't necessarily been to Greenwood, to Black Wall Street, is there any sense or any emotions that you feel like similarities between the buzzing, uh, you know, increase like landscape of Atlanta and yeah. like Tulsa? And yeah, absolutely. And even now, because I think, you know, the idea of being a real entrepreneur and building business and community and people locking arms together to be very deliberate and intentional about it. I would say that that's also happening in Atlanta in a, again, more intentional way. And it does remind me of Tulsa in many ways. And I'll say even listening to the project and the songs oh. that were, you know, listen to the music definitely feels like what I know the soul of Atlanta to be also, but I just think that's the soul of our community. You know what I mean? And you hear it in the lyricism, the storytelling, the vocals, and the, and the production. I have to say like the production is really strong and, and it's not one type of hip hop at all, but you hear the range. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities there. So since you brought it up I, I was gonna wait a little bit later but like what are your thoughts on music like do you have a you have a favorite you got you got a couple that you like uh, I no listen it's what 20 songs 21 yeah 21 songs here we go okay it's a lot of music it's all really good there are um it's a lot to choose from I know wait a minute I think I made a note about some been through it all elevators drowning top down I, I but there's so many of them it was a lot i was like i can't just choose you know there's the the project is actually really dope i mean not like i'm surprised you know i can only imagine the talent that exists there you know Absolutely. and i hear it through the songs and you know how many artists participated i think so it's roughly 60 artists that participated yeah. i think maybe 35 40 made the made the album yeah yeah so it's really strong and i think the exciting thing for me is for us to be able to highlight that you know absolutely absolutely there, there are no barriers anymore when it comes to music and breaking talent or you have to be out of los angeles or out of new york or even out of atlanta you know hmm. the thing about atlanta is that the city and the community has continued to grow because cost of living was you know um pretty reasonable and also people felt like as you know as black people you could flourish in the city that was all you know over the years that's that's been it so you have also the colleges and universities that are here right it's important all the hbcus and yeah yeah, yeah absolutely. And, it's, and it's an international city too um so you have a lot of you know people of different descents um that are in the city as well so you hear it all in the music Absolutely. So we're gonna come back to the music a little bit later, but I wanna okay. I wanna I wanna focus on you for right now. So um you interned at the face records and now and I don't know why people keep doing this. They keep saying chairman. Like why they can't say chairwoman? Like is, is that, 
chairwoman. Okay, okay. I just chairwoman. Gotta, it's chairwoman. You know, we just gotta correct them. It's like <laughs> retraining. Absolutely. Retraining everybody. Yeah. So it's just how do how do you feel being in the in the role that you are now and, and particularly being a black woman? Like, you know, what obstacles have you overcome? You know, what have you had to endure um to get to this point and has it been everything that you imagined? So I come from, you know, again, I started interning young, but I found my passion within music probably around the age of 22, 23. I'm 41 now. And um, before that, I mean, I had done publicity. I had done promotions, I, you know, party planning. I, I did it all. Um, but A&R, making records, identifying talent, helping to develop them, you know, helping people make their, rec their records. Uh, that is what I have loved. And it's what I I did, I was at the music publishing company within Universal Music um, for over 12 years. So I started, I, I was at Babyface's publishing company first for two years, and then I moved to New York and, and worked at Universal and been there ever since, and then transferred to being at a label. And But the core of it, and my passion was always about music and talent and making great records and supporting you know these gifted individuals to bring dope music to the world and i was kind of like head down just doing it and success would happen but i felt like that is the result of when you do great work success happens but i was never focused on like wanting to get to being a ceo of a label or there i, I didn't operate from that place which that's not a bad thing to do that but for me it was always about the passion you know um and then you you grow you have success and you're able to like move up in your career but you're also now running a business and there's more responsibility that comes with that and there's also you know developing other great executives and people that are contributing and, and helping talent in the same way so um yeah, it's been, there've been many trials and tribulations because you're running businesses. And then I, you know, I got the opportunity to be at the helm of Motown, which, you know. How did that, how did that come about? How think about about the gravity of that. Um, it came about when Sir Lucian Grange, who was the head of all of Universal Music Group, I met him while I was at the publishing company and he had taken over UMG and we met, I played him music and I just talked about my career. Probably a year or two later, um, I got the opportunity to be a SVP of A&R at Motown, but I was still heading creative for the publishing company. So I did that for about two years. I had a dual role between the label and the publishing company because it's all under Universal Music Group. And I was between New York and LA almost every other week. It was intense. Wow. Um, yeah. And so finally in 2014, they made me president of Motown. I was president of creative or urban creative at the publishing company. And then in 2016, I just focused on the label because it was just too much on my plate. But he he was the one that gave me that opportunity. He's the one that made me president of Motown and supported me. And, you know, Motown had not really been 
um, as successful in a really long time. They had, you know, over the years, things changed within the organization or whatever. And so the goal was to help bring it back to life. And at that time, the music industry was actually like in a tough spot, right? Streaming hadn't kicked in. So, but, so streaming probably kicked in around 2016. So between 2014 and 2016, it was extremely challenging. Um, and just the weight of Motown and the legacy and the iconic artists and the iconic work that was done. Um, and I remember being in this place where I, I, I felt like I almost had to not, not prove myself, not me personally, but like prove our value, meaning music, right? Of, of hip hop and R&B. It was just this pivotal time um, in the industry because they weren't seeing, they weren't, the, it wasn't being monetized. We know culturally our music was always thriving, but from a business standpoint, you didn't see that when you're looking at your PL, when you're looking at those black and white numbers, down, the iTunes download store wasn't reflecting the culture and what was really happening around the world. Cut to 2016, SoundCloud, streaming kicks in, Spotify is here. Right. And Apple Music is here. And probably towards the end of 2016, 2017, we saw the data that came in and they got to see which genres were dominating and which artists were thriving. And it was all hip hop. Uh, yeah, so, so that really um, helped change the game for the work that we had been doing. But I had been able to plant some seeds and I, you know, I had like three pillars for what I wanted to focus on for Motown, right? It was about signing great artists and talent, artist development, because that was the core of what Barry Gordy did always. But also, I thought it was so significant to highlight other entrepreneurs that were operating in the same way that Barry Gordy did in 1959, right? Mm -hmm. And how can Motown be a platform for other entrepreneurs, other Black entrepreneurs that were building their businesses? There were a lot of independent labels in the marketplace. Um, and I've always signed talent out of Atlanta my whole career. Most of my writers, producers, and artists, it's all just naturally okay. just happened. And um, so I had done some label partnerships. I did one with QC um, back in 2015. And, you know, we've been very intentional in helping to grow that business and those artists and be real partners because the ripple effect of that <laughs> is massive. When you talk about inspiration or, or in real time, you know, young black kids being able to see people from where they're from built their business and they're seeing it through social media and they're seeing, you know, the, Motown has been a part of that. And I think, not I think, it was by design because, because what happened in 1959 and what they did then is the same thing that's being done now. Mm -hmm. And I don't ever want us to have to be in a place where we feel like we have to prove ourselves again. Right. And so I think if we can continue to, to tell our stories of what we've done, right, and show that, um, it goes a long way. So, you know, entrepreneurship and, and, and great songs, you know, that was, it, those were the three pillars for what we've been doing. And 
we find, you know, Motown was under Capital Music Group. And with this, um, you know, with my promotion, we're now able to be a standalone label, our own business that is fully staffed and fully supporting talent. And, you know, there's a lot of success that's happened that's been able to get us to that place. So I'm, I'm really grateful and excited because it's been a journey. And for me, Motown is legendary and known around the world. And so we should continue to um, acknowledge that by supporting other artists and other businesses. Sure. And before I, I go any further, again, congratulations, because that's that's big. I mean, it's big for the culture. It's big for for people that look like me, but it's also like more important for like black women. Like, I don't think you understand like how proud I am to see you in that role. Cause I just, I can only imagine, I can only imagine like what you've been through and to see you shining on the other side and like you chairwoman, like. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really <laughs> proud. And, and I know it's not, you know, again, I was a kid and I remember, okay. So when I was like 16, I interned at Electra Records and Sylvia Rohn was the chairman and CEO of Electra. Hmm. Electra Entertainment Group at the time, right? So she okay. had like in Vogue and um, a bunch of artists, Metallica, like, but she was that woman, yeah. black woman. And I remember reading about her and I couldn't believe that she was a black woman that was a CEO. Um, I was 16 back then when that happened. It's crazy. And, and it's, it's actually really crazy to think about the fact that, because there were incredible Black women that I looked up to that I believe should have been able to rise and get to this level hmm. that came before me. And so hmm. um, I, I know that this is much bigger than me. I am extremely um, proud and, you know, I understand the responsibility, but the responsibility is also in lifting others up, you know. Yeah. And I and I think you know we we see fine little Africa as that mm -hmm. that that body of work that is bigger than us. Like obviously, you know, artists want to get access into the industry, of course, and we're doing the best with what we have. And now, with Motown involved, it's like okay, this exponentially can can change some lives uh, for people. And so, my my question is like, could you talk a little bit about your vision for fine little Africa, like? when you look at it, when you hear it, when you, what, like, what made you, like, take a chance on little old Greenwood? Like, what, 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 what were we doing that just made you, like, I need to take this project on? It was purposeful. It was necessary. And the fact that you guys took on the responsibility of telling the story of your community, but also creating a platform for the talent there, I just, I got what it was immediately. It was like no question when it was first presented um, to me because it was about you all as a community doing it, mm -hmm. honoring your ancestors, honoring everything that happened there, but, but not being ashamed, being proud to move forward and carrying on in a positive way, um, creating legacy. You know, I got it. From the, from the moment it was presented, I was like, Motown has to be a part of this, you know? But but to hear the music and to, to understand how much talent is there, that's really exciting to me, for us to be a part of helping to highlight that. Mm -hmm. um, 
you hear it in the music, how proud you all are to be to be from Tulsa. And, and again, I think there are no barriers anymore. So if we can help shine a light on the talent that's there and the music that's there and the work that you guys have been doing, um, that part is exciting to me. Yeah, I was on a on a call as we were you know working through this deal, and uh, you know Mark Byers, Lindsay Lanier were on the call, and they were like, "Hey, we want to do a, a licensing deal. We want to go do it through Black Forum." And I remember raising my hand like, "What is Black Forum?" And right. uh, when they told me about you know MLK being on Black Forum and it has been in existence in a while, and we're thinking about you know revamping yeah. it. Yeah. I was just like really overwhelmed with emotion. Like I, obviously I didn't show it, but I was just like, my stomach was just turning. And so I uh, I just had a question, like how do you plan to utilize Black Forum, uh, this final Africa with Black Forum? Like yeah. what was the whole reason for the connection? Like kind of talk through that. Motown had had these subset of labels under, you know, Motown, Mr. Gordy had done that. He had a country label, there was Tamla and, there was Black Forum. And we were aware of this, you know, for, for several years, but we always understood Motown had cultural relevance and a responsibility to, to, to show up for the community. But last year we were like, we need to really launch Black Forum with the intention of allowing other spoken word artists, activists, you know, poets, et cetera, to have a platform um, as well. And we really felt like that was necessary. And so we've had this plan to relaunch it this year. And it was gonna start, and it has started with us re-releasing some of the key works that come at, came out pre um, previously. So we just uh, re-released Elaine Brown's, um, her work that came out years ago. and. There was so much great and, and we're doing like, you know, merch along with it or whatever, but we're doing key deals with the people who are being the storytellers for our time. And what's happening in today's time, I think it's really important to make sure we're documenting that also and continuing in the legacy. And so when this came about, it just felt like the synergy was absolutely perfect. And you don't really question that. And and it was like, really, if, if you all felt the same way or not, we wanted to introduce it. And um, the fact that you got it immediately means it was all meant to be. So we have some really, really big plans around Black Forum going forward, but this is like the, the first thing, you know? That's amazing. And definitely when you talk about um, the synergy, the, the spirit, and just like being led, the discernment, I think that speaks directly to how we've been, our approach in regards to Fire Little Africa. And so, you know, Motown Hitsville is, is, is coming to, to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so my next question is, how old were you when you first learned about Black Wall Street? I had to be in my 20s. I had to be in my 20s because I don't remember I mean, I, and I will remember like when I, if I was a kid really knowing that story, I, I didn't, I think it was probably my early twenties. Yeah, I was at the age of 24. So imagine being in school for five, six plus years, master's, bachelor's, and, and then after the fact, just now hearing about it, and I live an hour and a half away. So like, this is a- It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy to think it's, about it. Cause I, you know, I can't, 
they didn't they didn't teach it to us they didn't teach it to us so we didn't we didn't know and, and you know i i feel like there are so many people that are just becoming aware right especially last year um, the awareness and, you know, has become heightened and, and people feel more inclined to right the wrongs and all those things. And, and, and that's all great because that's how we create change, you know. Um, but it is crazy to think about the way that our history was just completely deleted um, from our education system. Yeah, it's, it is. And it's unfortunate. And, you know, I think that's one thing that, you know, we've been like working through, especially like when we told people about, about Motown, like even with like Motown representatives on the call, it was like, I still don't believe it. And I think it's because of a lot of times we're, we're, we're working through and wrestling with trauma that when something good does happen, it's like, it's too good to be true. And so um, I just. So, do you feel like you guys are wrestling with trauma still to this day? Oh, absolutely. I, okay. It's no question. I mean, you know, I've always made the argument that you know, Tulsa would have been Atlanta if the massacre didn't happen. Like, I stand on that because I I think about just all the synergy and the entrepreneurship that was just mm-hmm. moving in so many different directions, and so like people think about that. People mm-hmm. think about economic empowerment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the businesses that some of the the artists, like their families had businesses on Greenwood and just not having that economic, you know, backing and support, like people are really struggling out here. So like, like the fact that in my, my opinion, the fact that we were making this music with people still working full time, trying to do this music, mm-hmm. trying to sort through this trauma, like it really, it really speaks to the fortitude of and the resilience of, of of black wall street and like in my mind it's like imagine if these artists were doing music full-time if, if if you think feel is amazing just think about what it would look like if we were able to develop those artists and so yeah i'm, I'm, I'm definitely excited um truly grateful just to be able to to be involved with this but but I do think there's one thing that I do want to talk to you about is I feel like a lot of times when it comes to artists people try to separate the artists from the activists as if they they can't coexist Mm -hmm. um and so in in your eyes especially in, in today's time what roles do artists have to play in activism and do you feel like artists leading the industry currently or adequately using their platforms? Um, There's some that are, for sure. I think that for some artists, they haven't figured out how they want to show up and use their platform. You realize how much that there still has to be an education on that front, you know? But I've always felt like artists have to make music that reflect the times, right? And I think that is happening. I think that there are artists who are, who can't deny what's happening and they're speaking up and they're creating art that reflects that. Um, I think there are artists who are also creating music to support escapism, right? Like to, 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 to get people out of the reality of what we know is going on. And so it's been interesting to see. Do you feel like that's activism in a sense too? 
Um, I do think joy is a form okay. of activism. And I think that is necessary because as we all know, um, if you're constantly in a state of grief and dealing with the trauma, how do you move forward, right? How do you have the energy to move forward? And so um, there's, a, there's a bit of a, ba a balance, but you can't have escapism without dealing, dealing with and working towards making change with what's really happening in your community, right? So the fans that you're speaking to, um, how are you showing up? And we've, we've had a lot of conversations with that with, with several of our artists, you know, especially, well, starting last year when putting records out. But the thing that I thought was really important for us as their label was to really support them in showing how to, sh how, to, how to show up, educating them on how to do it authentically, right? Like not just putting up a post, but what are you doing? You know, you know, we have little baby, right? Um, that's signed to us with QC and he, he created the bigger picture, not because someone told him to go do it. He couldn't, he couldn't walk away from what was happening in his community, what was happening around us. And he was called on by the city, the mayor, when, when the riots were happening in Atlanta, um, they wanted him to speak up and say something to calm the kids down and he knows his influence, but, and he didn't do it immediately. He chose to go out there and really understand what was happening and feel the people speak to city council members on his own, but city council members that were closer to his age that could really walk him through how they were feeling, how the community was feeling. And then he created that record immediately. And he spoke his truth in his way and I don't think people thought someone like him would, right? But but that's because they can always see you in a box. And a lot of these artists care. They just have to find a way to show up. Um, you know, it's an interesting time with cancel culture and everything else, you know? So I, I try not to be that hard on the artist because there's, there's a lot of them out here. It's just how do you support the ones that will really create the music that helps move us forward. But, but, you know, I try not to be that hard on them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And because everyone's on their personal journey of figuring out how to show up. Yeah. And still figuring out who they are as a person. Yeah. Too. Yeah. You know, like and maybe, maybe still know. young and, you know, yeah. 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 Um, so, but I, so, do think, I do think activism is absolutely important, right? And um, right. there is a responsibility that we all hold, you know? Yeah. Right. So, so, so staying with that, that point um, in regards to the activism and even the escape, escapism in the context of joy, mm -hmm. when you were listening to the Fire and Little Africa album, what did you, what did you what did you hear? Did you hear activism? Did you hear joy? I, I, hear, I, I heard activism. I heard storytelling. I heard a bit of escapism. I heard love, you know? Um, yeah, I, I heard a range of emotions, which the range of emotions is what you're, we're all experiencing, right? Um, I heard grief, sadness, you know? I heard all of it. I heard people popping their shit, you know, like, I heard all of it, which, which I love, you know, which I think that's necessary. And that's th those range of emotions and songs that can speak to that. That's truth, you know? Right. So how do you think 
the world is going to react to Final Africa. I mean, obviously with the assets that we have, but just the music, when they sit down and listen to it, how do you feel the world is going to react to this project? I don't think people will be that surprised that there's so much dope talent out of Tulsa. I mean, listen, we're in, a, we're in a place now in our business where we're seeing dope talent come out of so many different markets. You know what I mean? I, and so I think that you guys are like standing on the shoulders of those that came before you and you're doing a proud and the music is dope. And so I think, I think the world will um, be very happy and excited. You know what I mean? To hear it. I don't okay. know if they'll be surprised, you know what I mean? But, but what artists have come from Tulsa in the past? Have there been any? Um, Other than Gap, Gap, Gap Band? I mean, oh, that's, band. okay, yeah, okay. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of it. I mean, Leon Russell, but uh -huh. mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah. And, and I, and I asked that question because, you know, you know, at least from the people that, you know, the conversation that we're having, it's always been like Tulsa, Oklahoma, this flyover city state, like no one takes us serious. And so it's just interesting to hear that you think that people won't be surprised. Um, and that's something. And, and by it, the way, I could just be looking at it through my eyes, but I'll tell you, I, you know, some of the greatest artists have come from small towns across the U.S. And, like Tuskegee. Know, like, I mean, Lionel Richie, the Commodores were from Tuskegee. That was everything. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, people don't, I was super proud to be from Tuskegee, but or even like the fact that like, you know, Timbaland and Pharrell and from Virginia, you know, mm -hmm. or North Carolina has said, you know, Cole, Cole is from Raleigh, North Carolina. And he lives there and is, you know, all about North Carolina and putting on for North Carolina. And, you know, we just have, we have an artist from Arkansas who's really dope. And, and again, I think there are no barriers. I think that what we're doing with Fire Little Africa is telling the story, you all are telling the story of what happened in Tulsa, on, honoring that and highlighting the incredible talent that's there. And, and I think that that's beautiful, but I, I don't, there aren't any barriers anymore, you know? There's been a lot of talk in the last year about making the music industry more artist friendly, particularly for black folks. Um, do you believe Final Africa is signaling a shift to the rest of the industry that could bring a See change? In what way? What do you mean? I mean, this is a DIY type of culture. Mm -hmm. We have 60 artists that are unsigned. And the way I interpret it is that Motown sound signed the state. They didn't sign a project. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's never been done before. And so, um, yeah, I just, 50 unsigned artists, no one has ever heard. Ethiopia comes out of the sky and is like, Yep, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're doing this. And so um, just even just the, the, the idea that we, our social media and content team is like having assets already delivered to your team and we're collaborating in so many dope ways. Shout out to Chris Davis and my team. And But like, yeah, like, do you feel like the industry will be ready for Fire Little Africa? I do think they'll be ready. I also think, you know, to the first part of your question, um, the industry is changing drastically okay. for the better, right? There is so much information out there now. Um, and in many ways you can do things yourself 
and you have an understanding of when you sign to a major label, what your expectations are and what you want from them, which is usually to amplify what you've done and bring it to the world, like to make it bigger, right? But I think you guys have highlighted the DIY scenario, right? But, but also your community, you know what I mean? Because I think that we're seeing... We're seeing a lot of artists that will create their own music coming out of their bedroom or whatever, and they'll be in the same city, but people operate kind of on their own, their own mission or whatever. And I think one of the things that really stands out to me about what you guys have done is the way everyone's locked arms for a higher purpose, for a higher goal. And I think that's something to really, you know, just mention, um, Everyone, every the people that created the music, everyone on your team, your everyone is operating with a higher purpose. Um, and I think you've mentioned this before about operating with no ego, hmm. which <laughs> <laughs> that's half the battle, huh? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And I think that that is also something that's really unique um, about what you all have done and are doing. Um, and you also hear that in the music. Like, it's, it's not like one person is, you know, trying to outshine or take the moment from it. You know, you yeah. hear it feels like real connectivity oh. synergy. It's all blending together. Like everywhere, everyone's moving in the same direction. Um, Obedience. And I, I that as well. Obedience is, is greater than sacrifice. Um, and I think that's, something that I lead with. And I also, also think that, you know, when we were thinking about this project, we, we didn't, we weren't conceptualizing a record deal. We mm -hmm. were just conceptualizing, we got one shot. And unfortunately that one shot is predicated on the fact that everybody's bringing attention because black people were killed a hundred years ago. Yeah. And so we were like, if anybody's gonna have, gonna take advantage of this moment, it needs to be the local you know, voices who are still here. And uh, yeah, we just, we just said like, yo, if, if, if we're gonna make a move in any shape within the industry, we have to hold each other, you know, together. And so, yeah, obedience has always been, you know, greater than sacrifice and egos have, have not been an issue. And it's something that I haven't necessarily experienced ever. Um, egos not being an issue? Yeah, just I mean, any any space I've been in, that's that's always been there. But yeah. for, for this project, um, I think it's I think it speaks to the executive team, the Chris Davis and Saint Dominic and Steph Simon and Dalton. But yeah, I just I'm truly truly grateful just to, to be in this moment. And so you talk about this idea of community. Like for you, what does community mean to you? Okay, but before before we go to that, I wanted to ask you a question. Go ahead. That's okay. I want to ask, what was the conversation when you brought the artists together, right? Or, or presented this opportunity and talked about, because, you know, for everyone to gel and, and to operate with no ego, I, I wonder how, I want to know how it was approached. You know, would you, what did you say to everyone? Um, I think it was a, a mixture of, of a lot of the folks on the executive team. You know, for me, um, I've only been in Tulsa for two years. I was I was in Oklahoma City for 10 um, because of school. 
And so when I was presented this opportunity to EP this project, I was coming in like, I got to build trust because I don't want people thinking that I'm coming here to soak up the game and like be for myself. And if, you know, folks who know me know, like I'm probably the most selfless person that you'll ever meet. And so, you know, part of my responsibility was, I remember getting phone calls from my, my boss. Like, are you coming in today? I said, I'm working. He said, well, where are you? I said, I'm at artists' houses because, you know, my, my purpose as a, as a DJ and producer and an educator and someone who holds a PhD is um, I knew I had an honor, responsi honor responsibility to like put this in, in the way it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And part of it was I had to be a liaison between the artists and the organization that I, I worked for. And so I was getting punches from both sides. And so I think once we found out the plan um, of what we wanted to do as an executive team, we just stayed true to it. We picked the artists, not necessarily that were just the best. We picked the ones who, who fit the mindset of Black Wall Street. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we had those you know, pre-initial meetings, um it was just like yo this is the plan mm -hmm. and we all got to stick to it and if you have issues with it then maybe this is not the project for you right. um and so it was just very transparent like very vulnerable mm -hmm. um I, I told them that you know i would i will work my my ass off to get whatever it is that is ours i said when i see it i'll know what it is mm -hmm. if i I just, I just knew whatever it was coming. I knew exactly what it is. And Chris felt the same way. So it was just really just being open and honest, just building trust um, and just getting them excited about, you know, there's never been an opportunity where these artists have been together. Like we literally built a relationship between Tulsa and Oklahoma city. Like people were not necessarily collaborating. Like that was a weekend where, they were like, oh, I can work with this person. Oh, oh, you can produce for me. Oh, like it was just, it was a dope, dope environment. Um, so it was the first time people got that this was the connectivity for them through this project to bring. We didn't have, we didn't have to change who we, who we were. It was just like, we were like, even the name Fire Little Africa, we, we were already the fire that still burns. It was, it was already in us. It was embedded in us. So like the whole project, it was just like, yo, you keep doing what you've been doing for the past 10 plus years. Mm -hmm. You've been grinding. And I think that's the thing, like with Steph Simon and, and others on this project, you know, I get a lot of credit for Fire Little Africa. And I got a lot of it when the press release came out. And I just took a moment and I was like, yo, y'all gotta chill with me. Like if it wasn't for 10 years ago, mm -hmm. like it, there would be no Fire Little Africa. So it's just, me understanding that I have to always make sure that there's a shared governance with this project. There's no one bigger than anybody. Um, so yeah, it was just like, we didn't have to change who we are to make feel it. It was just like, put your ego to the side. We all gonna level up at the same time. And uh, it was just a dope experience, truly dope experience. That's awesome. So I got two questions for you. Okay. Um, the, the, the first one is, what do you want your legacy in the in music industry to be when it's all said and done? My legacy in the music industry. Um, 
I want my legacy to be that I made things that I made it better, right? That that I helped create change, that I created more opportunities for people that look like me. Um, and that I've been then I've been a part of supporting incredible talent that made music that touched the world, brought people together. I feel like you already have done that and are doing it now. I, you know, I think, you know, my prayer has always been, cause I'm, you know, I'm in the music industry, we're in the entertainment game and there's a lot that comes along with it. To never lose who I am at my core, right? Like to not lose that and, um, I am. It's funny that you say that because, you know, a lot of people have been asking me how you feel about Motown. And I think I've thoroughly enjoyed the pandemic mm -hmm. because it's allowed me to be just more present in the moment. Like I will, and, and people know this, I will think 20 years ahead. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic made me just kind of sit in the moment. And the one thing I was not worried about the deal. I was not worried about the success, the increase. I was worried about losing myself. And it's just it's just amazing to hear that, you know, that's one thing that you would really focus on as well. So Yeah, you know, I was again, I was exposed to a lot as a kid being in this game. So I've seen so much. Um and again, have always been operating from my place of passion for this and knowing that there was a higher purpose for me being here also, you know? And so just just not losing that and operating, you know, from an authentic and real place and not not losing myself along the way. And Talk about the South and how that influenced your work today. Does mm -hmm. Oklahoma sound like other Southern rap you've been around? It reminds me of what influenced me when I talk about that organized noise era of music which, you know, it's all coming full circle. You know, my daddy used to take me on drives every Sunday and I used to make him drive me by because I knew exactly where it was, where um, the dungeon was. Okay. And it blew my mind because outcasts were these global hip hop superstars, you know, and they were making music right there, right? And so I understand with this project, that's, I feel like it feels like that level of hip hop and that's coming full circle because there's a whole movement in Atlanta, same thing, you know what I mean? Um, so it feels like, feels like that. Okay. I hear it in the production, I, you know, I hear it in the lyricism, I, you know, it's storytelling at its best, wordplay, that's just so, you know, it's, it's what I love. I'm gonna cry once you get off the Zoom call. <laughs> be like a i'm being honest and i think yeah. it's beautiful um i think it's really beautiful i'm excited last question the mantra that we have is everything is us for fine little africa we use it to emphasize collectivism mm -hmm. and community and a culture that is free of ego mm -hmm. when you hear the phrase everything is us what does that mean to you it it kind of reminds me of something that my mentor, Clarence Avon, told me. <laughs> okay, okay. For, 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 for those who don't know, please let the world, like, you can't just like throw his name in there. Like, come on now, you gotta, you gotta let the people know. Yeah, Mr. Avon, Mr. Clarence Avon, the black godfather. Check yes. out his documentary on Netflix if Absolutely. you're not familiar. 
Yeah, I was I was blessed to um, meet Clarence 15 years ago. His his catalog was administered through Universal Publishing, and he called me one day. He was coming to New York and was talking a lot of shit because he (laughs) heard about me, and we formed a friendship and a relationship that um, I'm very grateful for. He's been like a second father to me in many ways, and me moving to Los Angeles, but in the industry. He's also been an example of, you know, authentically moving through this industry and not compromising who you are. He is an angel on earth. He's incredible. Um, But he would always tell me that there's, it's about the power of responsibility. There is power in the power of responsibility. And so I always interpreted that we're representing our whole community when we show up and there's a responsibility in that. So it's never about one individual. Um, And so everything is us makes me think of that, that it's about all of us. It's not about an individual or a solo game. When you, when you you pulling up to to Greenwood. I'm I'm figuring out my dates. I got to get there very soon. I need it. Trust me. I want to come. Yeah, I want to come. I want to meet the artists. I want to meet all of you in person. Yeah, the you spirit, know. the spirit gonna gonna get you as soon as you I change. It. I'm, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. I believe okay. it. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I am truly, truly grateful for this hour. Um, it's been a crazy week, and uh, I needed this to edify myself, just to kind of keep going. Me too, uh, by the way. So thank you. Yeah, thank absolutely, you. absolutely. So I just want to just say thank you again. Like, please, please, please let us know when you're coming to right. Tulsa. And trust me, like the energy is on an all-time high right now. Like I'm 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 seeing you know elderly folks like coming up to me like Motown like they are elated yeah absolutely absolutely I love that that. um so yeah we definitely gonna do something special you come to the town um we're gonna pull out the red carpet and we're gonna make sure that you truly get you get to see and feel what we feel each and every day and not even just the the good, like the spirit, but even just the things that we're wrestling with and how we're overcoming that. So I'm truly excited for you to come. Um, I appreciate you and your team for allowing us to do this. And uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing what, what Fila and, and Black Forum and Motown will do um, for the world. Hey guys, make sure you follow Fire in Little Africa on Spotify. There are tons of playlists to get you up to speed on the catalog of Fila artists before our album drops this May. We've got a playlist featuring the music you hear on our podcast and the town tape series with favorite songs of Tulsa DJs and hip hop heads. Check out Fire in Little Africa on Spotify today. Hey, yo, it's Doc Free. Just want to let you know that if you love Fire in Little Africa and you want to support the movement, yo, head over to the online store and shop the clothing line. We got hoodies, shirts, hats, and more designed by none other than Trey Daxon of Greenwood Ave. So check out the full line today at fireinlittleafrica.com forward slash shop. And don't forget to post that pic and tag us on your social media, yeah? Everything is us. <laughs>